Welcome to Books in the Fraser, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by Jen from the Psychoanalysis Podcast, and you might know her from the Losers Club Podcast. And today we are talking about leading ladies in Stephen King stories. Yay. Yay. I, and I like if there's anything in the world that I love talking about it is this so, I'm so excited <laughs> I figured yeah Stephen King and feminism would probably be oh like, yeah <laughs> totally up your alley <laughs> oh yeah I could talk for probably a million years about both of those things <laughs> <sighs> well thank you for coming on the show oh sure I'm so excited <laughs> so you uh recently launched or helped launch the psychoanalysis podcast so tell us about that yeah um i the other thing that i could talk for a million years about is mental health um and i do tend to talk about it a lot um sometimes even at work and i find myself saying i don't start every sentence with my therapist says when you're in a meeting (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so i've always kind of i think part of the reason that i've been drawn to horror all of my life is because I like figuring out why people do things and why they're afraid of things. Cause I think like if you can figure out why something scares you, I think it kind of gives you a little bit of power over that. Um, and I also think it like what we are afraid of really shows us a lot about who we are. Um, and so I just don't have always been really fascinated with that. And I also have been going to quite a bit of therapy in the last couple of years. Um, and I've just seen the way that it's really helped me and changed my life and kind of helped me make sense of a lot of things. And that was when I started thinking, oh, maybe this is why I always loved horror. Um, and this is why it's easier for me to read sometimes than it is to watch. So it's just interesting to see all of those things fall into place. And with like kind of the moment that we're in right now when just it feels like everything is um, scary and everything is um, stressful and it's hard to figure out exactly how you're feeling about things. I was just thinking this is the time to do it. And so, yeah, we're, we've got four episodes out now and the response has been really great and it's been really exciting and we just kind of geek out over mental health paired with a horror movie and that's like perfection like if I'm not talking about Stephen King it's like (laughs) the other thing that I would love (laughs) to talk about (laughs) yeah so like each episode is like a movie paired with mental health issue Yes. Yeah. And we wanted to be careful about not necessarily saying diagnoses because we didn't want to kind of box ourselves in. Um, So what we've done, we had our first episode was like, hey, here's what it is. And here's why sometimes you want to watch scary movies when to make yourself feel better, which sounds like the the opposite of what it would do, you know, but, you know, like there's comfort horror is a thing. And I mean, I've read some, I've read Pet Cemetery probably 11 times and that used to be like my comfort horror book and I just loved it. I know this was before (laughs) I had kids. I I was like, that is a tough one. (laughs) Oh, I know. I can't read it anymore. But like when I was younger, like in high school, I would go to the pool and I would just read it. You know, it was, Mm -hmm. it was so, which sounds bizarre, but like we know that that's a thing. And so our first episode was just talking about that and kind of unpacking why um and then so what we've tried to do is pair like every month we'll choose a theme and our first theme was anxiety 
And then our second theme was um, toxic and abusive relationships. And our episodes are bi-weekly. So for every episode, aside from the first one, we take anxiety and we pair it with a movie. Or we take toxic and abusive relationships and pair it with a movie. And I love that we're doing month-long themes because that gives us an opportunity to kind of talk about something from a couple of different angles. Um, like with toxic and abusive relationships, we paired it with Midsummer and The Invisible Man. So we, in one, we talked a lot about gaslighting and like toxic, the toxicity in a relationship. And the second one, we talked a lot more about abuse. And that was kind of a heavier episode. But um, it was nice to be able to kind of have two ways in, you know. And our next one is Paranoia, where we're talking about Sinister and um, Fright Night and the Burbs. And I cannot <laughs> wait to talk about those. <laughs> Ooh, Fright Night. I wouldn't even, I would not have even have thought of that one. That's a good one. <laughs> I know. I, they picked it. I was like, oh, that's perfect. And I mean, any excuse to talk about um, Chris Sarandon. Yeah, and I'm like, you're. Your sweater, Chris Sarandon. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I Oh, I love him. I think that was maybe where the, my sweater love, where I realized that I had a thing for guys in sweaters <laughs> was with that movie. <laughs> so is there like a dream movie you would like to cover on the podcast? Yes, and we've got some plans for it. I think um, I think we want to talk about um, American Psycho and narcissism. Um, that's going to be, we don't have specific plans for that yet, but that's really high on the list. And then we're going to do PTSD next, where we're, we're the one that I'm really excited about is we're going to pair um, H2O with the new Halloween that came out in 2018 and talk about how you see PTSD and Laurie in like both versions of Laurie. So that oh, was kind wow. of a, I know I'm really excited about that one. That one was kind of a dream. Oh, I'm excited to listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just love her. Um, and there's so much to dig into. And like, we found like, we keep thinking, well, we'll probably come back to this theme because we've got a lot more to say. So um, like it was, I have so many thoughts about Midsummer. I could have talked for a million hours about Midsummer, <laughs> but yeah, that was a good one. It was, yeah, was um, in there. <laughs> so you mentioned reading Pet Cemetery when you were younger. When did your relationship with reading Stephen King novels start? Um, okay, so as I've talked, I I've been kind of trying to figure it out because I I think the first memory I have of Stephen King is seeing. Um, the spine of it on my dad's shelf and it's like the claw the great and the little claws coming out of it and I just remember seeing that probably when I was like I don't know four or five and thinking what is that that's like scary and I'm really into it um, and then I say that it was watching the stand miniseries and then reading the book and just falling in love but I think that's really when I became like a hardcore king fan I must have read um night shift stories before that because I remember going like spending the night at my friend's house and like convincing them to let me read them the mangler or like the boogeyman <laughs> at our sleepovers um and sometimes they were they would go along with me and sometimes they're like what no we're not doing this <laughs> but so I think I probably it probably was night shift but the stand is that's when I fell in love I was like this is for me and I had to read everything after that and then reread and you know yeah it's funny uh for a patreon series my husband and i are both reading the stand for the first time <gasps> oh my god do you love it <laughs> so we are 
I think like 20 chapters in at this point and there oh, yeah? are still characters being introduced. So. Oh, yep, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is, it's, there are so many characters. Um, and I've read it I, probably six times, I think, at this point. Um, but it's, and I just fall in love with it more every time. Um, but it's interesting, like the characters that I cared about the first couple of times I read it, I they're boring to me now. And now I'm like, ooh, Harold and Larry, like those are the ones that I find so fascinating, you know? It's funny because my husband has liked Larry and I'm like, I don't like, he just got, you know, he hasn't had <laughs> mm-hmm. any kind of redemption yet. Like he's a piece of crap right now. But I'm like, I'm sure like throughout the novel, like I can tell he's going to yeah. have like, he'll grow on me. I am Team Stu right now. Like we oh, shall love see. Stu. <laughs> yes, Stu and Franny were like, oh my gosh, that's what I thought love was like when I was when I was fourteen. And part of it is because Gary Sinise is just so dreamy. But um, <laughs> have you seen the miniseries? No, we're gonna do that after we after we read it, and then hopefully that'll be like right on time to watch the new one in december i think i think it's december yeah Yeah, i'm so excited about that fair warning it is it's cheesy but it's there's so (laughs) much heart you know i just love it but i also it's one of those things where like if i i i remember watching it when it was on tv and it was like that's just what tv looked like back then you know so like Mm -hmm. none of the effects or anything it's like oh this is fantastic um so i think as long as you go in with that ID with you know with that mind frame I think you'll love it but I just one of the things I find about rereading Stephen King which I do a lot is that once I know what's going to happen and I'm not so like into the plot I can focus a lot more on the other characters like now I I don't want to spoil anything um, and I'm trying to mentally think how many <laughs> how many chapters 20 is. Um, but like one of my favorite parts of the stand is the scene that Franny has with her mother yeah, at uh-huh. the beginning. Yeah. And I just didn't pay any attention. I was like anxious for that to be over the first time I read it because I just wanted to find out what happened. And now like once I know where he's going and what's going to happen, I can really kind of listen to the the intricacies of the plot and like the character development. And that's when I really started to find Larry so fascinating and Harold all. Also, I think um, they I think in relation to each other, their journeys are really interesting also. And they're just they're 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 the as much as I love Stu and I love Nick and I love Franny, Harold and Larry, I think, are the the ones I find the most interesting, you know, but I love them all. (laughs) (laughs) So when we talked about doing this episode, you said you had just finished your like full reread. I did. All of Stephen King. So did you notice anything different this time around? I know you said that like this time on the stand you noticed different characters, but did you notice that kind of throughout your reread? I did kind of, yeah. And um, it was funny because I finished that reread like a week before If It Bleeds was released. (laughs) And I was like, well, I got a week. And then I just (laughs) went right back into the next one, although I would have been more sad to not have another one to read. Yeah, it was interesting like I liked the Tommyknockers a lot more than I thought I was going to I remember reading that the first time and being so I'm not a huge science fiction fan um and that one is a lot of like aliens and I just remembered not liking it and not really remembering much about it and I was really really fascinated with it this time and just kind of loved the bonkers quality to it you know because it's (laughs) like it's insane Um, and I think that was like right at the height of his like 
his cocaine um, addiction. It's It was either right before he got clean or right after. I can't remember for sure. But that was a, a big surprise to me. I also really loved um, The Regulators and Desperation, reading those together. And I've read The Regulators um, a while ago and then just never read Desperation for some reason. And I read those together. I was just thinking, gosh, he's just such a genius because he released those on the same day. And they're like... The, it's the same characters but the, it's like American Horror Story where like you have the same actors but they're playing different characters and so you have like the variations on the names and you can still kind of see similarities in their character traits although they're doing completely different things like I can't remember specific names right now but in one like Jill would be a grown up and the other she's like the daughter of the family and it's just so fascinating how he wove those things together to make two different stories that feel like two sides of the same story it's just it was really fascinating and I was that was that was a really pleasant surprise that I enjoyed desperation as much as I did that's what I've seen I honestly don't know a single thing about either of those (laughs) (laughs) that one there those are two I think that um I don't think there are adaptations of it so I think people tend to like either not realize not know about them or like kind of forget about them um and but they're really fascinating um one is like if power rangers came to life and attacked your street that's what um i know it's it's insane (laughs) um and then the other desperation is like an old west town and there's like a a monster um or like a, a demon it's been a while since i've read it so i don't remember exactly what happened but um there, but the way that like the, the the bad guy is the same in both stories, but it manifests in completely different ways. It's just really fascinating. I did want to ask with the topic, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about how Stephen King writes women. Ah, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wanted your thoughts on that. He's probably written, I don't know how many women pro- over the years. Like I think we're at 70 books now. Um, So whenever I talk about, because you could say the same thing about endings, and I think what's great about Stephen King is there's so much work that you can really see patterns, and you can see, it's not like he wrote five books and I liked two of them, you know, it's like there's so many characters. So I think there are times when he does it really, really, really well, and times when I'm not crazy about the way he writes women, um... So two examples, I think. I don't love um, Susan Norton in Salem's Lot. I don't think she really has much depth. Um, as much as I love that book, she and Ben, I think, are um, probably my least favorite parts. Um, but, I mean, that was really early. Um, and I just finished reading Insomnia, and I did not like the way he wrote about any of the women in that book. I feel like there was kind of like a, a disregard um, or a, um, a flatness that he was writing them with, which is ironic because he also did a lot of explaining what their bodies looked like, um, which is another thing he tends to do that kind of I've noticed more over the years. So there are examples that I, of times when I don't like it. Yeah. But. I've noticed that while reading The Stand now that I'm like going kind of going through with like a highlighter. Like, I mean, Larry talks Mm -hmm. about like his mom's boobs and I'm like, why? Every time, (laughs) every character he writes about the boobs and it's never like sometimes it's not sexual. It's just like that's how he describes them. Like, I don't I don't need to know she has an ample bosom like that just 
tell me what color hair she has, you know, or just tell me, I don't know. Um, and it's funny because I don't pick up descriptors of characters because yeah. I'm just not really a visual reader. I'm not So, either. like, yeah, um, like, Nick Andros will always be Rob Lowe to me because that's who plays him in the miniseries. And that's not at all what he looks like in the book. Like, I think he's got like dark hair and a beard or something, but I just always picture Rob Lowe. So whenever it's like a, a descriptor of what they look like, I just kind of gloss over it. Except yeah. when it's like, yeah, she has good legs and she has ample bosoms and like hair that would look great spread across a pillowcase. And like, okay. <laughs> all right. Stephen King. But I didn't really notice that I think until I got older and like, started to kind of learn more about feminism and just the way like that kind of language matters, you know? Um, but I think his track record overall is good. I do think that he has some fantastic female characters, um, that I really love. Um, like Bev, um, from it, Beverly Marsh is, I, I think maybe my favorite character of all time. Um, and she, there's a scene in it. Have you read it? Yeah. Okay, so there's a there's a scene in it without spoiling that um where Bev does some things that um I cannot believe actually got put in the book because it's it's pretty rough, but I think I understand what he was trying to do there and I'm not excusing it, but I think everything else about her character is just so amazing and I find it so empowering and so she is one of my favorites. I think Wendy Torrance is another one of my absolute favorite characters. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts about the shining book, but she is one of my favorite parts. And I think she's got so much depth and strength. And then another one, like on the losers club, we're in this phase right now of like, he has this period of talking about um, strong women. Um, and I think it starts with, really starts with Polly Chalmers and Needful Things. And then there's Gerald's Game with Jesse, um, who I could talk for a million years on. And then there's Dolores Claiborne and then um, Insomnia and then Rose Matter. So, like, there's this period. And I shouldn't include Polly Chalmers because these four books really deal with domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And so there's this period. And I wonder – I hope I don't sound like I'm all over the place, but I think um, – it was like a couple of years after he'd gotten sober. And I wonder if he was thinking about what he had done to Tabitha and like how she had reacted to everything. Because one of the things that I loved about doing a chronological reread was trying to get into his mind and like what he was dealing with when he wrote things like when he was writing Pet Cemetery, he had young kids and he was probably thinking, what if they die? And now and like his later career, I think he's probably thinking about what what happens when I die. And so I think I wonder if this period of female characters is like trying to understand how Tabitha reacted to everything that happened with his addiction. But yeah, so that's my long winded answer about um, his female <laughs> characters. I do think he does he, his in hard in the uh, the positive column, I'd say, with a couple of misses along the way. <laughs> I'd agree. I mean, it's I've I've had my experiences with him where I've definitely rolled my eyes while reading. Mm -hmm. But I think where I really changed my opinion on him was when I read Gerald's Game, and I was like, I love this. Actually, this is very accurate. This is actually mm -hmm. like very good representation, and I am very impressed. So I take that back. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and like there was a rumor for a while that Tabitha had actually written that book. Um, and I don't think that's true for the record. 
<laughs> because there's enough like that's the other thing I've read how many millions of his pages like you, you can hear his voice but he understood so much of the thought processes of that kind of um, experience with Jesse and it was so refreshing like I was reading that and I was like you're inside my head how did you know all of this and it's so refreshing because I don't think we get a lot of that kind of representation on screen or in books of like oh this is why you have a reaction to this it's not because you're hysterical it's not because you're emotional this is why and it matters that you feel that way and that's one of the reasons I love Gerald's game I think I would probably put that in my top five of his books it's just it's amazing I think at the moment it's my favorite like yeah. I really loved it it's so good and it's so like did you see the movie yes Oh my god! <laughs> like Mike Flanagan, I feel like I don't. I walk out of his movies, or I mean, I turn Netflix off of his movies, and I'm just like sobbing. Like I don't know what it is. He like speaks my emotional language, and I think he understands like the way Stephen King writes. Um, because man, that movie just got me, and I it was I've written quite a bit about it because it just it's so good. Um, yeah, it is a hard book to read in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. But oh, definitely. It, just Trigger warnings galore with that one. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, that I'm about to start Rose Matter, and that's on the same path. Like, they're, I'm just kind of bracing myself for it, you know. But it's a good book, and I'm excited to revisit it. I'm just going to I'm gonna space it out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself some time. Exactly. Uh, I did have a Patreon question from Patreon supporter Danielle. Who says, I've only read one King book so far. I know I need to catch up, but I have a King-based question. If you had to recommend one of his novels with a female protagonist to someone who hasn't read a lot of King, what would you recommend? Hmm. First of all, I'm curious about what the one book is. And I know that she probably didn't say. Um, but so I'm going to, I think I'll probably give two or three because I don't want to give the one that she's already read. And then there's, <laughs> I didn't give an answer. Um I would say it because of Beverly. I love her, but I also, I recommend it knowing that it's like a thousand pages long. And so maybe that's not the best entryway in, um, if you don't already love Stephen King, cause that is a mammoth book and you don't actually meet Bev until maybe 50, 60 pages in. Um, but it's fantastic. And she is my favorite, um, protagonist, female protagonist. Um, I would say the shining, or Firestarter. Um, the Shining, I think, is amazing. And I've already talked about how much I love Wendy. But I think she's just so strong. And if you've seen the movie Kubrick's adaptation, it's very different from the book. And I feel like there's a lot more to Wendy in the book. Um, and I love her. Um, and then Firestarter... There's a lot that I don't like about Firestarter. Like I recognize that there's that it was written in I think the 70s and there's a lot of there's a lot of patriarchy in that book, but I think Charlie is the protagonist there and she she can light fires, which I am going to figure out how to do one day because I think that would be so cool. <laughs> um but I just have really been thinking about that book a lot recently because I think her power is a really good representation of female anger um, mm-hmm. in the way that she has this power inside her and nobody trusts her to know how to use it. And so they all try to make her afraid of it. 
and I've been I've written a little bit about it, but nothing that I've gotten ready to to put out. It's all still in rough draft form because I'm kind of feeling my way around it. But just that I love that representation of um, not trusting yourself because everybody told you you couldn't and her kind of learning how to overcome that I don't think it's his best book but she is one of my favorite characters so if you're looking for a really strong female character to um, relate to I think that would be a great place to start and that's interesting because she's like eight in the book so she's she's a kid uh, but she's just got so much depth and heart and I think I, I just I want to like take her under my wing and say, Hey, Charlie, here's, here's what we can do. And it also probably, my daughter is eight now too. So I'm thinking like, Oh, I want, here's how I want you to think about yourself and what you can do. And so I just, I love that one. So those are, what did I say? I said it and the shining and Firestarter. Um, and you had mentioned before we started the girl who loved Tom Gordon. And I really loved that book too. It's really short. Um, but it's it's really it's a great book <clears throat> and I can't remember what her name is but she loves Tom Gordon and she is really strong in it <laughs> yeah you think it's Patricia I don't remember her last yep. name yeah I think you're right mm-hmm. this episode is brought to you by Libro FM Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore I am in Pittsburgh I don't know if you knew that about me. I feel like I never mentioned that about myself. I'm totally kidding. Uh, But I was looking through and I actually found my local bookstore on here, Riverstones. So I was really excited so you can look through and find your local bookstore on there. You can choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the one I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen while doing chores, walking the dog, relaxing at home. I mean, we're all doing a lot of that right now. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and you just don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best. Local booksellers. Listeners of Books in the Freezer can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Just go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code FREEZERBOOK. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Thank you, Libro.fm. Yeah, we were also talking before about how um, everything going on has just totally warped our brains. Um, I mean, I could talk for I could talk about some more of my favorites. Um, I love Franny. Um, she's Do you, the first. Okay, because I'm gonna yes. admit that I have started it, and I am not huge on her at the moment. Really? Okay, I want to hear more about that because I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> as much as I love her, that is me loving her from eighth grade, Jen, falling in love with Molly Ringwald and thinking, oh, love. Um, but yeah, I want to hear more about how you feel about uh, Franny. I don't know. I think she, I find her a little bit annoying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know, like, I, I think her whole, like, I giggle at everything, again, I find to be a little annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the like the chapter with her mom i think humanized her a bit for me where i'm like okay like she has had some trauma like she had a brother die when she was very Mm -hmm. young and like she basically lost the relationship with her mother kind of due to that trauma but i mean so far i've just had like her basically telling jesse she's pregnant her telling her dad and her talking to her mom so that's kind of all i've seen of her Mm. okay (laughs) well i hope i didn't spoil anything by talking about her romance it's gonna happen later um i did a prediction and i put her with larry so i was wrong oh yeah (laughs) yeah we were doing like wild predictions i'm like i don't know maybe she ends up with larry well i mean that might be a little more age appropriate than who she does end up with but um there there is i think she's she's stronger than she comes off in the beginning because i totally understand what you mean and yeah she does like the older i get and the more um, I'm kind of annoyed with um, the way girls are written or shown as like giggly. You know, I don't I didn't notice that back then and I already loved her. But now I read it and I'm like, oh, yeah, but but have some substance, girl. Um, but I mean, she does. There's a lot in store for Franny. Um, okay. Sweet Franny. Um, I'm excited to hear what you think about. Uh, you probably haven't met her yet, but um, Nadine is yeah. a character she um you maybe have a couple hundred pages to go <laughs> before you meet her <laughs> she's fascinating um and just her place in the story i love and the older i get i think the more i was kind of drawn to her not necessarily feeling like she like represented me in any way but just like kind of trying to understand how she felt um and she's I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil anything but she is she's amazing (laughs) I'm excited (laughs) I want to read it again now (laughs) (laughs) well that's exciting because I was like oh like if this is the only big female character we're gonna follow and I'm already like not huge on her this is gonna be rough Oh, so yeah. I'm glad to hear that there's more women coming. There are. Oh, yeah. And there's Dana Jurgens, and she's awesome, too. Um, yeah, there there are some great women in that book. Um, I think it's more about the men, but they're, the women have uh, important parts, too. Yeah. I'm interested to hear what you think about it. When <laughs> uh, well, one thing I was looking at and was kind of noticing about, like, his women, his, his female characters, um, are kind of like what their relationships are because like uh jesse and gerald's game and it seems like rose matter that's like more as like a wife romantic partner and then i feel like in cujo and dolores claiborne it's very much like the identity of being a mother yes and i do think that's like i'm trying to think about um a woman that he's written about that doesn't really have kind of that tie and I think Dolores Claiborne maybe oh have you read 112263 no say say it's so good Sadie in that book I feel like she is um she is her own character and of course that is a, a more recent book that he's written like I always kind of try to think okay this was when he was writing it and this is, like, I just read Insomnia, and I was like, this is what a lot of people thought about feminism back then. And I can kind of understand that and have grace for it as much as it kind of bugged me. Um, and I do like that book. I don't want to be negative on it. But um, I think Dolores Claiborne, I love that one. I do, um, too. That one so... took me by surprise because I went in completely blind. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, wow. Like, I love this book, and I love her. 
Yes, she's amazing. Um, and I I love the audiobook because that is completely first person. Did you listen to the audiobook? Yes. With I I've recommended it because I, I do. It has such a like high production value that they did all the like sound effects and like the you know, like all the thinking uh-huh, and yeah. clacking and yeah. yeah, and I mean it's essentially just like one monologue and mm-hmm. she just does it so well with the accent. Yep. Yep. It's Bunny McDougal from Sex and the City, who I just (laughs) love forever. Um, Yeah, that one is a good one. And it's interesting because she is a mother and she but she's also a wife and she's a friend. And I think that book is such a good kind of exploration of women and like the roles that we play, you know, um, and how we see ourselves and like what the roles we're supposed to play. Because one thing. I love about her is she just does not care and she's going to be who she is and she doesn't try to make anybody happy. She just is who she is and she does what she thinks is right. And it's also interesting to see like to hear that story talking about her younger life because I think there was a time when she didn't and she learns from experience like it's not worth it to play this game and the, like this person Joe he's not it doesn't matter what I do he's not going to be a good husband and it's not because I'm not a good wife it's because of who he is not because of who I'm not and I just I thought the way she protects her daughter in that book just really touched me that was a hard one for me to read too um but it just it's so good and I love her uh, relationship with Vera in that book it's all over the place but I in the end, I mean, like, she comes through for her. <laughs> yeah, she really does. Yeah, and I think Vera is so fascinating, too. And every time I read that book, I like Vera more. And I'm just like, Vera, she... Uh, now, she, yes, she is not kind to the people who work for her. She is no. not... I don't think she's a good person. But I also think she is a strong female character living in a world that doesn't let women be strong. You know, mm-hmm. so I think, like, there's... I don't want to say they're the word that they use over and over and over again the b word but there's like there's almost like a reclamation of that word in that book and they're talking about what it actually means to be just a woman that nobody likes and a lot of times it means asking for what you want and just expecting that you're going to get it Mm -hmm. and so i i think that's really fascinating and i also like the way he wrote her because he doesn't write her as like this big empowering inspiring woman he writes her as she is not a good person but she's got complexity and I think he does a good job of kind of explaining why she is the way she is and I mean I guess you could also look at Annie Wilkes who's another fantastic female character the opposite end of the spectrum because she is definitely not a good person but she's so complex and dynamic and I guess she would be a woman who's like she's not really defined to a traditional female role you know Mm -hmm. and a lot of I guess you could say she uses like the traditional female role of a nurse to like be evil you know and so it's just kind of an interesting kind of upending of that because we I think we just assume nurses are fantastic Um, angels who help everyone and my mom was a nurse well still is Um, and so like that's the kind of person that you instantly trust and it's just interesting to see King play with that you know like this healing but hurting but like the gaslighting in that book it's just she is a fantastic character 
and I terrifying. Have, yeah. I have not read that one. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's I so know. good. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not spoiling all of these books. I mean, like it's in the cultural zeitgeist, you know. It is. Yeah. So. She's not, she's not great. Um, but she's, she's fantastic. Like she's a great villain. Like I feel like she is the best female villain that he has. Although I also like Rose the Hat from Dr. Sleep a lot. Oh, yeah. Have you, have you read the book or seen the movie? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Did you like it? I did. Yeah? Did you I, like? Oh, my God. I loved it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of complicated feelings about The Shining, and I love, like, watching yeah. it and reading it kind of helped me process a lot of that, you know? Yeah. Well, I was, I think I was talking to someone else on another episode, but I think he did such a good job of bridging that, like bridging the book ending, bridging the movie and kind of like mm-hmm. the differences and kind of acknowledging it as a whole, which is yes. tough to do. I know it's amazing. And like, I loved that, um, that movie. And I was really nervous about it going in because there's so much that happens in the minds of characters which I think is really fascinating. But, I mean, it's the same thing with Gerald's game. Like, Gerald's game takes place with her just on a bed, and every all of the action happens inside her head, and I think Mike Flanagan is just really good at understanding how to show that because I think he understands what King is trying to do with that. But I, lo- I don't love the True Knot as a group, but I think Rose the Hat is fascinating more so now because I saw the actress who played her in the movie. I think she was just great. And I can't remember yeah. what her name is, but she was, she brought a lot of life to that character, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. I think, I'm still going to say Gerald's game is like <laughs> oh, my so top. Good. Like, it's just, I think so far, my favorite Stephen King book. It's it's really great. Um, I think in my top five of Stephen King is The Stand is my number one. That's my favorite book of all time. Um, and a lot of that, I will admit, a lot of that is nostalgia for me because I just have such great memories of watching the miniseries and talking about it at school the next day and then reading the book and just, I love it. And then I think Misery and The Shining and Pet Cemetery, and it used to be 11-22-63, but I think Gerald's Game has kind of eked its way in, so 11-22 <laughs> would probably be in my top 10 now, but those are, those are my favorites, and I think there are strong female characters in all of them, like Rachel in Pet Cemetery, She's oh, she's yeah. a, a really interesting character. I don't know if she's necessarily the strongest, but she's got a lot of depth to her, and I appreciate, like, King trying to kind of unpack her feelings you know I think there's a lot to relate to her and she feels like a real character to me you know yes I really loved in that book how she and Lewis both have their definite views on like death and Mm -hmm. how they view things and what they're comfortable and uncomfortable with and how dealing with things firsthand like that changes them like with a, a different experience and it's just I loved how he did that. And I think the Pet Cemetery is probably my favorite ending of his so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 11-22-63 is my favorite. And I, I personally think it's his best. But Pet Cemetery is that is such a good ending. And I love that he didn't try to make it happy. Like, that is a dark, dark book. And that's the way it should end, you know. And I think mm-hmm. if he had tried to make it some kind of 
more happy ending, it wouldn't have felt true to the book, you know. And he's talked about how he writes, like, like digging up bones or like being an archaeologist and like the story uncovers itself. And I think that's why um, sometimes people give him a hard time about his endings. And I, because I think he often does not, he gives the ending that's true to the story rather than the crowd pleaser, you know. But I do think Pet Cemetery is fantastic. Although 112263, I cry at the end of that every time. It's <laughs> so good. Yeah, and what I think is interesting about his female characters is there it, there are a lot of empowering female characters, and I get a lot of strength from his female characters, but I think more he just writes them mostly honestly and fairly, and he gives them depth that I don't always see from other writers. And I think partly that's because he is just really good at getting inside the heads of his characters. So, like, he does that with the men, too, but I feel like his female characters come alive in a way that a lot of other ones don't. And so like when I say Susan Norton is not one of my favorites, she's still a pretty good character. Like in any other book, she would be a good one. It's just comparing her to everybody who's come after her or before her, because Carrie, I love Carrie and her mom too. You know, I just feel like he gives them, they are real characters to him. They're not yeah. like the, the evil wife, you know? Yeah. They're not archetypes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, I keep going back to Gerald's game. I promise I will stop. Like, oh, no. Hey, <laughs> I, it's worth it. Gerald's game is amazing. <laughs> but I think to me, like, one of the most horrifying parts in Gerald's game is when, you know, Gerald is tying her up and she tells him to stop. And she uh-huh. has that moment where she realizes, like, he heard me and he is now, like, weighing his options and choosing not to listen to me to later mm-hmm. say like oh I didn't know you meant it and oh like I remember uh. I was I I had a night job and I was working and I just like stopped and like shuddered and I was like oh mm-hmm. yeah because we know people like that you know like they're gonna say it's that gaslighting thing yeah. it's like they're gonna say they they have the out of saying oh it was part of the game but they know yeah. and you know they know and they not to go to friends, but like everybody is aware of what's going on. But here's the cover and you don't have the power to to over w- overcome that because that's unfortunately society is going to believe me. But yeah, that moment as as scary as that book is, I think that is maybe one of the scariest moments, you know, and there's a lot of really terrifying things that happen in that book. But yeah, just that yeah. level of awareness from him and somebody like he's her husband. It's somebody that she's supposed to be able to trust. Yeah. Well, and then like she goes further on to like think about like, what if I did report him? Like the law's not going to be on my side. They're going to mm-hmm. ask me like, you know, he's your husband. Like you came here. You consented to this like up to this right. point. Like exactly. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> Right, exactly. And it just shows you, I think it's a really clear um, picture of like this, it's broken, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the onus is on the woman to prove, to prove that she is a victim rather than them, like, they're just going to automatically believe him. I don't, I feel like I could have said that better. But yeah, she, she has to prove the burden is on her. And it shouldn't be because she's the victim. Um, I just watched this movie that's coming to, it was at Fantasia Fest, but it's coming to um, Shudder probably pretty soon, but it's called Lucky, and it's a slasher, and it goes into um, 
like nobody this woman she's attacked by this man over and over again and everybody's like oh yeah that's the guy who comes and like the response to that um is kind of along those same lines of like yeah they say the right things they do the right things but it doesn't mean anything and it i think gerald's game kind of shows like what it what women actually need and what women I don't know where I'm going with this but like this is the support that we really need and I loved like the two different sides of her being able to see that like goody goody Burlingame I I think and then Ruth who's her friend from college I think I loved how they worked together um and kind of speaking of like female roles I think that's such like a clear vision of like the roles Jesse thinks she's supposed to be and then Mouse would be the little girl and I've been doing um not to get too personal but like I've been doing a lot of similar work in therapy just talking about like the roles that I play in my head um and like if like the the scene in the movie that gets me every time is when she sits down with her younger self and she's just like being so compassionate. And that's something that I've been like thinking through in therapy is like, okay, well, if you saw Jen at eight years old, what would you do? You know, how would you help her or what did she need to hear that nobody said? And so just trying to say that to myself now, and it's been really helpful. And that, so I was reading that book and I was like, how did you know (laughs) that these are the things that are in my head? And I think like, I don't know if he talked to survivors or not, but I mean, it's, it's so authentic and it blew me away when I was reading it. I mean, and it, fits a lot of different things like I mean for me personally I grew up in like a Christian fundamentalist like cult so I think mm-hmm. coming out of oh, me wow. it's like the two like what you're supposed to be and then like what I would like to be and kind of like the different parts of that so I think that's what I clung on to when I read mm-hmm. it yeah and it's like yeah the good because she's like the good wife this yeah, is what like, you're supposed to be Mm-hmm. Like what is expected of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Ruth is like the, no, 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 but you're also a person and you're mm-hmm. allowed to say things hurt me, you. And that's something that like, I think a lot of women struggle with is saying, no, this isn't okay. This, this hurts me. This makes me feel bad. And I think to see Ruth, not Ruth, Jesse kind of struggle with that and finally get to the point where it's just, I mean, her life is literally going to end if she doesn't, kind of overcome this and like confront those fears and it's it's fear of a different kind of thing but I love how it weaves together it's like do you want to what what do you want your life to be do you Mm -hmm. want it to be fitting into this box or do you want to say I'm gonna be who I want to be even if it's really scary even if it hurts you know at least I'm there's a freedom in that you know yeah it is interesting. And I know you've talked a lot about this, about how, like, we can project our own stuff onto, like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. everything. Like, I remember, like, growing up, I, I still haven't read Carrie because I love all the movies and I just, like, mm-hmm. don't know how the book – that sounds, like, crazy, like, such a backwards thing to say no, for, I know like, a mean. book podcast and to all, like, book readers. But I just, like, I do. Like, I love all of the Carrie movies and Mm -hmm. I think I just loved it so much because it was kind of for me this like rage against this like religious system this just like cathartic (laughs) Mm -hmm. explosion and not I mean not not just religious but I mean her mother was a big part of it (laughs) there's a lot of religion in that book yeah Um, yeah. I think you'll like that book it's it's 
the movie, the De Palma movie is pretty faithful to it, although not 100%. But um, it's it, and it's epistolary, I think. Like, there's a lot of news clippings. Um, and, like, a com- it's interesting. There's a commission um, that they keep giving, like, interviews interwoven with, like, narrative. So it's it's fascinating the way it's put together. Also, it's really short, so you could fly through it. And Sissy Spacek reads the audiobook. Oh, awesome. Amazing. Yeah. I really like Carrie a lot. Um, I even like, like, the terrible musical. <laughs> like, I, I haven't <laughs> seen the musical, <laughs> but I love musicals, so I'm sure I would love it. Did you see the episode of Riverdale where they did it? No, I didn't. I like, like, I love Heather's The Musical, like, a bunch. Mm -hmm. And I saw, like, a couple of clips, and I'm like, no, don't ruin this for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've heard great things about the Evil Dead musical, too. I have, Um, too. Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't seen it. I wish, like, I mean, I don't go to anywhere now that I have kids. But, you know, if it came to Nashville, I think I would make an exception for all of those. Um, but yeah, I've heard, it's such an interesting thing to make a musical out of, you know, Carrie. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think like, yeah. And like, uh, the history of like Broadway, it was one of the like worst performing. <laughs> really? Like, I mean, musicals. I can see that <clears throat> the Riverdale episode did not, um, make me want to buy the soundtrack. Maybe <laughs> I'll say <laughs> there. And then there was a play. What I would love to have seen was misery with, um, Bruce Willis and Laurie Metcalf, which was on Broadway for a while. Not a musical, but, I mean, that would have been amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good work for, like, a play, because it's, like, a Mm two-character, one location. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, have you seen the movie, Misery? So you just know, like, the gifs and the looks and, like, cultural, (laughs) The cultural knowledge of, like, what is out in the world. That's so interesting because there's so much of Stephen King that is like just part of our zeitgeist now, you know, like Pennywise. I'm like, yeah, everyone knows who Pennywise is. Exactly. Yeah. But it's so funny when I read it, I forget that Pennywise is in it because like I just it's it's like a story about friendship to me. And and then I'm like, oh, yeah. And there's the clown that's really scary. <laughs> um, I That's such a good yeah. book. But I also like I'm not a visual reader, so like a lot of it doesn't scare me so I connect with like the emotions of the characters a lot more than I do with like the the scary set pieces you know mm-hmm. I see that I will say the when I read it I I didn't like love the treatment that Bev got because I feel like when they all got introduced when they were adults they're like here's Ben he's successful here's Bill mm. here's he's successful here's Bev she's in a bad relationship mm-hmm. <laughs> well and I read and I think that might be another instance of me having read her growing up and not really seeing a lot of that stuff till I already loved her and so I think I can forgive some of that but yeah I mean you're right and there's also the aspect of like the what makes them losers is like one kid's fat and then one kid's got a stutter and then one kid has an inhaler and then another kid and then Mike and Bev who like are suffering every day with this like systemic oppression of like racism and like an abusive father and it's like okay these are like they're not evenly weighted and like (laughs) I don't know if that makes them losers as much as like kids who need help you know but I do love that scene. And I think part of the reason that I love Bev so much um, 
again, not to get too personal, but like we share some experiences. And so having read that scene at multiple points in my life, I think it kind of gave me a lot of like strength earlier on and then kind of allowed me to kind of contextualize some of my experiences later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do agree with you. And in the, it kind of broke my heart to see what happened, what they did with her character in the second movie, um, the, the adults one. Cause I feel like she just could have been so much more of a presence and she wasn't. And there's so much, I think, in her character i loved her in the first movie and i thought sophia lillis oh was the first fantastic. movie was really good i mean it i really did was. like her her scene in like the bathroom stall when it starts like filling up like i thought that was mm-hmm. very With good ben. but yeah yeah that was really sweet um but yeah and i i feel like i think there's like a four-hour version of that movie and i think what they cut out a lot was mike and bev um, just for time, I guess. And it just, cause there, there were things that she was talking, like there's one point where she's talking to Pennywise and he doesn't have his makeup on. It's like, what is this? This doesn't <laughs> have anything to do with the rest of the movie. And so I wonder if there's more story that she got. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't love movie Bev as much as I do like Jessica Chastain a lot. Like, I just feel like her character was not the priority in that movie. And it's always going to be the priority for me because I love her. <laughs> Yeah, I think with the movies, I was like, I loved Eddie, and that's, like, who I clung on to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. James Ransone is so fantastic in that movie, too. He is. Um, yeah, I did really like Eddie. Um, I think my favorite, I like Ben. Um, Mike, I think, is, aside from Bev, I think Mike is probably my favorite. Um, and if Yeah, I wish they gave him more to do, like, in the books. You know how, like, I in the know. books, he's, like, he's the historian. Like, he's the person that, like, figures mm-hmm. everything out. And they kind of just, like, took that away from him. I'm like, I know. Okay. It gave it to Ben. I was so mad. I'm like, Ben already has things. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. He doesn't need anything else. Yeah, that was one of my big problems with the first movie. As much as I love it is mm-hmm. what they did with his character. I think they just took away everything that made that made me love that character because I also love the relationship with his father. And that wasn't in the movies at all because his parents were dead before the movie started. And so it just, it frustrated me. And I think that's one of, like, when you look at Stephen King adaptations, when I don't need it to be exactly like the book. And I completely understand that some of Stephen King's stuff you just can't do, you know? Or if, like, there's a way that he writes so that it works, that if you're not writing it the same way and you don't understand why things are happening, it seems insane. Like, watching Pet Cemetery um, before I had read the book, I was like, well, I would just never go dig up my son and bury him in the Pet Cemetery. That's fine. Like, problem solved. My family is <laughs> safe, you know? But, like, reading the book, you understand why he's doing those things. And I... I don't remember how I got onto that track, but um, getting into the minds of the characters, I think, is his strength. And it's just so hard to do that on screen, you know. Oh, yeah. I didn't ask you what you think of uh, Holly Gibney, who's another one of his big female characters. (laughs) I was going to talk about that. And then I started talking about something else um, and I forgot. I okay, so Holly Gibney from. Mr. Mercedes through the Hodges trilogy. I do not really like the Hodges trilogy, um, mostly because I don't like Bill Hodges. But I didn't really care for her that much in those three books. And then she was in The Outsider. And then she was in If It Bleeds. 
and the TV show The Outsider. And I started to really like her in the book The Outsider. Although when she showed up, I was like, okay, here we go again. Um, (laughs) Because I feel like she started as like this kind of really quirky character who didn't have a ton of depth. And then I I think King kind of figured out how to write about her and figured out who she is. Um, Because there was like she almost was presented as someone on the spectrum earlier on. Like she's got a lot of quirks. Um, and a lot of that I think is more due to her, uh, like growing up with a narcissistic parent, which is something I can also relate to and just having a lot of anxiety. And so I started to like her in the outsider. And, but I think what I really liked was her relationship with Ralph in the outsider and the way Ralph kind of stood up for her but also let her stand on her own which I think is really important like he wasn't trying to protect her because she's such a delicate flower he was just giving her the support that she was asking for and not questioning her about it and not saying oh you're weird because you need me to um you need this particular hotel room like that's just something you need and that's fine Mm -hmm. um and then I watched the HBO show which I thought was great. I've got a lot of feelings about that that don't necessarily relate to Holly, but man, Cynthia Erivo in that role was just amazing. And she just brought such heart to that character. I think they gave the character a little more nuance that I was really happy with. And then I read her in If It Bleeds, that's her story. And I just loved her so much in that movie or in that book. And then at the end, it's like you can feel... Holly click into place by the end of that of if it bleeds and it just it made me cry and I gushed over that on the Stephen King cat or not the Stephen King cast the uh the losers club and I'm like yeah I thought it was okay but like I clearly I had a really strong emotional reaction to that and so I'm excited to see her again although I don't want a million books about Holly like maybe do one or two more and then and then you can let her go you know yeah I DNF'd I think like the first book in the Hodges trilogy but then I read The Outsider and I liked her in it and then yeah I watched the the miniseries and enjoyed it I still haven't read If It Bleeds it's really good I loved I really liked all four of the novellas in that one if you liked her in The Outsider I think you'll like her in If It Bleeds I don't love the story in If It Bleeds um, cause I feel like it's a little bit too similar to the outsider, but I love her and like, those are all crime kind of mm-hmm. novels, which is not a genre that I love. Um, so when I'm reading those, I'm like, to me, those are about the characters, not the mm-hmm. story or the bad guy. And so that's why I didn't like the Hodges trilogy cause I didn't like Bill Hodges and that's what those stories were about. But then once it started to shift over to Holly, I did start to like them a lot more. I loved if it bleeds, um, yeah, and the rest of them are really good, too. I think that's an interesting um, look at Stephen King, like, really reckoning with the fact that he is nearing the end of his life, which is, and kind of looking at his career over, how many years is it now? 50, I think. Like, I mean, I guess he's been writing for his entire life, but I think you can kind of see times where he's looking at old stories he's written and, like, old characters um, and kind of giving them different endings that I think is really fascinating. Yeah, that that sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's good. I could like super geek out over if it bleeds, and I did. I wrote a really long thing for one of the Losers Club newsletters, um, which like I, my my red string pin board was like all <laughs> over the place. So I was like, and this and this and this connect. Um, but man, I could geek out about Stephen King for a million years. 
just there's just so much there you know there's so much work to look at and I know you were saying that yeah you all disagreed on (laughs) Holly and you were the one that like loved it like I mean I listened to the Losers Club and what did they just do they did like nightmares and dreamscapes and I'm like I love nightmares and dreamscapes me too and everyone was like this one sucks this one is also (laughs) terrible and I'm like oh okay yeah I do really like that one um and I mean honestly like to answer the question a while ago like I don't know if I could pinpoint a strong female protagonist but like the short stories are a great way to start with King because his short stories are fantastic um and there's a lot of good in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Yeah, I know. If I had been on that episode, I would have been um, banging I'm the like, drum a little harder. <laughs> I love, like, Suffer the Children and they oh, got a hell too. of a band. Like, I'm like, mm. I love these. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. And it's so bizarre. Like, that book is, like, all over the place. You know, mm-hmm. there are some that I do not like and some that I did agree with them. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The, like, Sherlock one I didn't care for. And I didn't care for, like, the baseball one. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean... Yeah, there was duds, but I think the ones that I loved, I like liked so much that they overshadowed it, and I'm like, it's great. <laughs> I know, like Dolan's Cadillac. I love that story. I do too. <laughs> oh my gosh, have you listened to the audiobook? Yes, I definitely oh. recommend doing that for all the short stories. Me but too. that's Rob Lowe, right? Yes, it like, is. Rob Lowe mm-hmm. does that one, and then like Whoopi Goldberg does uh, Suffer the Children. It's just uh huh. It's so good. And I also love, like, everything's eventual, probably for, like, three stories. But I'm like, I love it. Me too. Yeah, there are some good ones in that, too. And I've listened to the audiobooks a lot of those before I um, before I read them. Because before I discovered podcasts, I just listened to Stephen King audio all the time. And the short stories were, like, the really easy ways to get in. Like, 1408 is one of my favorite stories. And mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've listened to that on um, audio. I like, I don't know, I had a real soft spot for like, in that one, the feeling you get when you say like the feeling in French, like I love Mm -hmm. that one. And I'm like, I don't know why I love this one so much, but I just do. (laughs) It's really interesting. And I mean, I guess speaking of female characters, that one is about a woman who's thinking about um, a choice that she made. And it's just really interesting to kind of see what he's doing as that story unpacks, you know. Have you read The Gingerbread Girl? Mm-mm. That one's a good one. Uh, another really strong female character um, who is recovering from a horrific tragedy and just kind of getting herself back together and then like encounters a monster. So that one's a really good one, too. It's a little on the longer side, but it's interesting. And it was kind of fallen in his period where um, I think it was a couple of years after he had recovered from the getting hit by the van. And so there's kind of a stretch where he's writing about people recovering, like in Doom McKee, um, writing about someone walking and just walking a little bit further every day and kind of building their strength up. And I think that's one of them that I really, really relate to. So, yeah, maybe that might be a good entryway, too. And if she's a really strong female character. <laughs> what do you think is the most feminist work of Stephen King? <laughs> hmm. I think... I would say Gerald's Game, I think. Um, Gerald's Game, Dolores Claiborne, I think there's a lot yeah, of feminism in. Yeah, but not in-your-face feminism because, like, in Insomnia, he, like, writes about actual feminists, and I don't think he quite understood um, 
what he was writing about then. And it was in the early 90s. And I don't think anybody really understood what feminism was. I, I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. But I think there were a lot of misconceptions about what feminism is. And what it really is, is just writing about women as human beings and like mm -hmm. what makes their lives special and different and harder or easier. And I think Gerald's Game and Dolores Claiborne, he really writes about them as actual human beings. And he doesn't as as like as much as he writes about ample bosoms and other places like he he gives them so much life and depth that I think that's what makes them feminist, because that allows you to see a woman as a complete person. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I would say it's between Gerald's Game and Dolores Claiborne. Um, yeah, because for me, yeah, Jesse, I feel like is struggling with like what it means, the different parts of herself and the different expectations of everything. And then Dolores Claiborne, I think just there's a lot of different aspects of life and things that she is working with. And I feel like it's a very complete picture. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> I did want to say talking about misconceptions about feminism and how I grew up in a, a fundamentalist like Christian cult um like obviously like feminism was like the worst thing you could be and like uh -huh. a horrible bad word and yeah. I remember there was like some like revival conference I went to and they were showing this footage of like um like women's lib stuff and like marches and like playing like I am woman hear me roar and it was supposed to be like this is the worst thing and I was like this is awesome actually. I know this is the, like there should be more of this yeah I feel like a lot of people think that feminism is just hating men and that's not yeah. what it is but I was raised in that kind of environment too maybe not as extreme but like yeah. I heard women's lib all the time and uh, like and I was watching Mrs. America on FX this year which is yeah. amazing and every time they said women's lib, I was like, Ugh, like triggered me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, There's a lot of things I can't, like I, I saw the preview for that and I'm like, I don't know if I could handle that right now. <laughs> I, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a lot and it, I watched it before um, the pandemic happened, but it is really good. Um, and I think it's, it's fair. Yeah. It's, it's good. There's a lot of strong, there's not as much of that as there is the other side, I would say, but it's, it's really good. Um, it's like I'm like in the center of that bullseye for that show. <laughs> like, oh, you made this for me. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, we ask all of our guests for a chilling obsession. So what is something in horror you've been enjoying? Um, Lovecraft Country. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I read the book and I liked the book, but the show is amazing. Um, and I'm so obsessed with it. And I was really lucky because I got to review it on For Consequence of Sound. So I've seen five episodes now. And I know, like, <laughs> but it's like, I, I only say that to say like, it gets better and it's okay. so awesome. And I mean, I, not that it gets better because it started bad, but like it started amazingly and, and it, it keeps it. Like, exactly. Like my favorite episode hasn't come out yet. And it's so, uh, I'm so excited and I just love Jordan Peele and it's a female director, Misha Green, um, and it just, it's like, that's the kind of TV I want to see right now. Mrs. America and Lovecraft Country. Like, just make everything that, you know? And <laughs> what we do in the shadows, which I guess would be another one. <laughs> oh, my God. I, yeah. It's like so one great. of my favorite shows of, like, the past five years, what we do in the shadows. And yes. Lovecraft Country, yeah, I read the book. I loved it. And I'm just so happy to see this adaptation. 
I know. I've been, it, it got announced like two years ago and I've been like <laughs> looking forward to it literally for two years. It's so good. Oh my goodness. And it's going in some different directions from the book, but still kind of keeping mm-hmm. the same feel. So I'm interested to see where it goes because I mean, it's like, and it's like, going at breakneck pace too you know like there's a lot that's already happened it's only two episodes in you know yeah like it feels like a season finale (laughs) and as is new books in the freezer tradition we ask all of our guests for a final girl song we have a spotify playlist and it can be like whatever interpretation you have for a final girl song this is your scene you get to direct it what's your song (laughs) All right. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I have been struggling with this to try to find one song. Um, I think, I mean, my, I would probably say Alanis Morissette, you ought to know. Um, I don't know if anybody has said that already. Um, Mm. They haven't? Okay, well, that's mine. Okay. Um, I also have been really into um, Garbage recently, and their song on the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack like has the vibe that I think I would want, although that's kind of about being in love with someone. So I don't know if that really fits for a final girl. But, yeah, I would say Alanis Morissette, You Ought to Know, is my final girl song. And nice. I will smash a bunch of stuff to that song. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will add it to the playlist. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jen. Oh, sure. This was so much fun. Yeah. Talking about Stephen King. Where can people find you online? You can find me at Jen Ferratu with two N's on all of the socials. Um, And you can find me um, occasionally on the Losers Club. Our episode on insomnia is out, dropped today as we're recording. Um, And then I'm also going to be on their Rose Matter episode coming up in about a month. and you can find me on Psychoanalysis Podcast at Psycho A Pod on the socials. And we have our bi-weekly episodes. And we're, we have plans to maybe bump that up a little bit, although we're still working the details out. But, um, yeah, so find me in both of those places. I'm kind of – oh, and I'm, you can also find me writing for Consequence of Sound. Um, and I've got some exciting things coming up that I'm really jazzed about, too. that's awesome all right well like i said thank you so much oh sure thank you so much and i want to come back and talk to you about the stand when you finish it too okay sure yeah (laughs) not to be presumptuous but i mean (laughs) i just can't wait to hear what you think no yeah for sure we'll have to do that Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. You can send me an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. So there you'll find a list of all the books that were mentioned in this episode. And like I said, all previous episodes. I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. You can find me on Instagram at that's what she read. And that's that's with two A's or on YouTube as that's what she read. And join us next time for Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 